You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Hook. Well, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. It's Dr. Hook. Just how many people were in the bridge run? Who ran the bridge run this weekend? Got a few people. Okay. Um, Bobby Bender, who's on the front row. I don't know if you saw this people you said in the bridge run. How about coming in 45th place? 45th place. I was talking to Brian in the back. He says, you realize that Bobby was finished probably before most people even started the race. I was like, good grief. So that's amazing. So that's a fast man sitting on the front row. Um, Well, I'm really excited about going through uh, the third week of this series. We're in John 17, and we're looking at Jesus's high priestly prayer. As Dr. Hook said, that Chip has been at his dad's memorial service. Many of you may remember back, I think it was in December, that his Dad passed away, and so they waited until this weekend to have the memorial service, and so you can be in prayer for Chip and his family as they wrap things up, and they're headed back home, I think this afternoon, from Kentucky. So we're going to look at John 17, and our text this morning is verses 17 through 19. There is some debate, and so just as an intro, uh, Chip has mentioned this already, but there's some debate whether John 17 this high priestly prayer that Jesus preaches, I mean, that Jesus prays, takes place on Thursday night, or is it Friday morning? So we're not really sure, but one thing about it is dark. In fact, we find out later that in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is just a few minutes later, a couple of the disciples are falling asleep. So I'm assuming it's late at night or very early in the morning. So it's uh, right before Jesus enters into the garden, and right before he prays, not my will, but yours will be done to the Father, then he's arrested, and then he goes to the cross on Friday afternoon. So when we think about last words or last prayers, John 17, this prayer that Jesus prays, is a game time prayer. So it's common to think of the Lord's Prayer as the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, which is our Father, which art in heaven. Many of you are familiar with that prayer. You probably have it memorized. You might pray that on a regular basis. A lot of people say that's the Lord's Prayer. But really, that's just a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. If we were going to look in the scriptures and say, what is the Lord's Prayer? It would be in John 17. So that's what we're looking at. And John 17 is also a rare glimpse. Now, how cool is this? It's a rare glimpse into what Jesus is actually doing for us now. Romans 8.34, and it also mentions this in Hebrews. It says in Romans 8.34 that Jesus is at the right hand of God, and he's interceding for us. Have you ever heard that before? That, That right now, Jesus is praying for you and for me. He's talking to God, the Father, on our behalf. It's actually mind-blowing to think, what is Jesus doing? He said he's going to go prepare a place for us in heaven. Well, I think one of the ways in which he prepares a place for us in heaven is to pray for the people who are going to one day be in heaven. And so he's praying for you and me. He's saying, speaking to God on our behalf. But specifically, we ask the question, maybe, what is he praying? I want to know that. What is he praying for me? What is he saying to God on my behalf? 
And it very well may be that right now, over and over and over, he's praying the things that we see in John chapter 17. So two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus uh, prayed that the Father would keep us in his name. We looked at the the assurance and the security that Jesus gives us in praying for us. And then last week, we saw that Jesus prayed that we would have not just joy, but that we would have his joy. And today, we look in verses 17 through 19, and we see that Jesus prays that we would be sanctified. So just on a side note, my daughter, Ellie, my oldest daughter, we checked her into the hospital at MUSC on Friday. And as of this morning, she was still there. We thought it was an appendix issue, and it seems like it was just a a vicious virus that she had. So she spent a couple of nights in the hospital. A friend of mine called yesterday to tell me that his brother, who had terminal cancer, is in hospice. And then I found out this morning, he messaged our community group and said that he's passed away and now in heaven with the Lord. Uh, Another friend of mine in our community group has been asking us to pray for her sister, who has heart issues. And when I think about all of these things and the people that I pray for, a lot of the prayers that I pray, and I don't know if this is your experience, I assume it is, is praying for people's physical health, is praying for their protection so that they won't die, so that they will stay here, and so that they can be with me. I'm praying for people that they will be physically protected and they would have physical health so they can remain with me on this earth. But when we think about Jesus's prayer in John 17, he's on the other side of heaven praying for people's spiritual health and protection so that one day they will be with him. It's just mind-blowing to staggering thought just to think about that. So Jesus's prayers are part of the sure means that keep us secure and to give us joy and sanctify us and one day will bring us to him. Okay, so let's get started with the text. So we look in John 17, 19, and if you have your bulletins on the back, you can see some notes. If you like to keep notes, you can do that there. If you have your phones and we'd like to access our digital bulletin, you can go to kingscross.org and you can pull that up there. So Jesus prays in 17 through 19, sanctify them in the truth. He's praying to the Father, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, which is actually the same Greek word as sanctify. So for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So when we look at verse 17, at first glance, the word sanctify in this verse, and then we also see it in verse 19, may be difficult to understand. It's it's not a word that we use much today. Uh, Like if your wife asks you, hey, honey, how do I look? Your answer probably isn't normally, honey, you are looking quite sanctified today. (laughs) Now, in reality, as we look at what the word sanctified means, that's actually a very appropriate response. Uh, Or... But we don't talk like that. Or when my kids, I'm talking to my kids after school, and just about every day after school, I say, hey, kids, how was your school today? How was school today? I have never heard back from them the response, Dad, it was really a sanctifying day today. Now, the truth of the matter is, if you look back on your day, regardless of whatever happened, that's a true statement many days, that it was a sanctifying day. But we really don't talk like that. So what do you do when you're reading a book and you come across a word that you just don't quite understand. What do you do? Well, now you can just call Siri and just say, hey, Siri, what does this word mean? But usually I just skip it, right? I just skip it and say, well, I'm just going to keep reading and maybe I'll figure it out based on the context of what I'm reading. 
And that's what we could do today. We, we could uh, look at verse 6, 17 and say, you know what? The word sanctify is not necessarily a word I use much today. Maybe I'll skip it and go on to like verse 18, which I think could be a good thing to do because verse 18 is a really exciting verse for me. When you see it, Jesus says, if you sent me into the world to the Father, he says this, I've sent them into the world. It's very exciting, motivating. It's like a superhero crushed Satan and his evil, evil plans verse. And so that could be a good plan to do as well. Verse 18 is a verse about breaking in and blazing trails. It's about Jesus being sent into mission and him sending us on into mission. But we're going to have to face the word sanctified in verse 17, and we're going to have to look at it in verse 19 as well. So this is what sanctified means. Sanctified means to set apart or declare holy. And obviously when we look in verse 19, we see that it means to consecrate as well. To, so to set apart and to make or view or declare holy. So this is something that's really cool for me when you look at this passage in verse 17 where Jesus says, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth. In verse 18, it's all about mission. And then in verse 19, he says, I sanctify myself so that they also be sanctified. So you have, it's like a sandwich. You've got the bread and on the top, you've got Jesus talking about the importance of sanctification. The bottom piece of the bread is he's talking about sanctification. And then right there in the middle, your gluten-free diet is the mission. So you've got this verse 18 is sandwiched between verses 17 and 19. And I, I don't think that's an accident. I don't think it's an accident that 18 is sandwiched between 17 and 19. The one about mission, between the two about holiness and about being set apart. In fact, what I believe, we're going to find that there's something about the word sanctified that is crucial for mission. And the effectiveness of your mission is directly connected to, your, to the level of your holiness. The effectiveness of your mission is directly connected to the level of your holiness. Our biblical truth for today, and I've got it where it rhymes, and so it helps me to remember, and if you don't have fun with this, at least I'm having a lot of fun. Jesus prayed we would be positioned and conditioned for the mission. Jesus prayed that we would be positioned and conditioned for the mission. So we're actually going to look, we're going to work our way backwards through this biblical truth. We're going to talk about mission, we're going to talk about condition, and then we're going to look at the position. We're going to start with verse 18, which is a verse on mission. That's the one between the bread. And then we're going to look at verses 17 and 19. So here we go. Jesus prayed would be positioned and conditioned for the mission. Verse 18, Jesus prays to the Father, As you have sent me into the world, so I sent them, send them into the world. So my first point is, we were meant to be sent. You and I were meant to be sent. Specifically, we were meant to be sent into the world. If God's intention was to keep you out of the world, he would have saved you and he would have immediately taken you to heaven. If you are a Christian, the fact that you are here right now means that he has work for you to do. That's why we're here. Because he has a mission for you and I to do. If you haven't become a Christian, you're here to know him. If you are a Christian, you're here to make him known. In fact, mission, I believe, is the underlying theme for all of John 17. I believe it is the outworking of the whole prayer. We don't have to, time to get into it this morning, but in three weeks we will. We're actually going to look at the mission side 
of the prayer. So stay tuned for that in three weeks. But today, we're looking at verse 18, and I can say this. The word sent, which is actually twice in the verse, is the same Greek word for mission. So God is a missional God, and Jesus is a missional Savior. It's right here in verse 18, and it makes sense that if Jesus lives in you, then you have automatically become a missionary, and your life is to be about mission. God is a missional God. Jesus is a missional Savior. If Jesus lives in you, that means you are a missionary, and you have a mission to do. So what's the mission? So in verse 18, as Jesus says, you, the Father, have sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. The mission that we have before us is the same mission that Jesus had in verses 1 through 6, where we see him speaking about and praying about the importance of spreading God's glory through showing off God by giving people eternal life. That's the mission. That's the mission that he had and ultimately filled in his death on the cross. That's the mission that we have when we embrace his substitutionary atonement for us. And so now we are called to spread God's glory through showing off God by giving people eternal life. So really, the mission is that we are sent to represent Jesus. That's our mission. And to truly represent Jesus, and this is the connection, and this is why we have verses 17 and 19 on both sides of verse 18, why we have sanctification and holiness and being set apart on both sides of the mission, is that to truly represent Jesus, you must be holy and set apart like Jesus. So number one is that you were meant to be sent. And number two is Jesus prayed that we would be made holy. Jesus' prayer for you and Jesus' prayer for me is that we would be made holy because the mission is to represent him. So specifically, God makes you holy so that you would be set apart. And even more specifically, God makes you holy so that you would be set apart for the mission. Jesus prayed that we would be positioned and conditioned for the mission. Now, as a verb, the word condition means... It's not just something like conditioner that you use before you get your hair ready for the day, which I think it fits with this definition. But as a verb, the word condition means to bring something into the desired state for use. So think about this when we think about God making us holy, that he is conditioning you for the mission. He is bringing you into the desired state for use for the mission. So how does that work? Verse 17, Jesus specifically prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Or we could substitute some words here without doing injustice to the text. We could say, make them holy in your truth. Or Jesus is praying, set them apart in your truth. The reason the verse is right up against the mission verse is because of the success of your mission is dependent on your holiness condition. The success of your mission is condition is dependent on your holiness So today at 4 p.m., just like Dr. Hook mentioned, we're starting this equip class that all may hear. And the class is going to be incredibly helpful in equipping us for mission. In eight weeks, and this is how it works, it's actually only eight weeks, and we're going by twos. One subject we're in two weeks, another subject we're in two weeks, and we're going to skip the holidays, so it's actually going to go into the month of June. So Father's Day, Mother's Day, Memorial Day, we won't have classes, but it's eight weeks 
Child care's uh, included, so if you are interested in coming and you need child care, please let me know after the service so we can anticipate your children. This is what we're going to do. We're going to look at the history of missions. So we're going to go all the way back to the first century and look from there to today. And we're going to look at the current state of missions in the world. And did you know that 42% of the world, that's over 3 billion people, do not have adequate access to the gospel because believers aren't living there with them to give them access to the gospel. And we're going to look at the current state of affairs when it comes to missions around the world. We're going to look at God's master plan for spreading the gospel throughout the world, which is discipleship. Bo Butler, who has been doing an incredible job at facilitating and teaching our men's breakfast, is going to be teaching those two weeks. We're also going to look at the tools, as Dr. Hook mentioned, that is going to help us become more comfortable in sharing our story and the gospel with others. One of the tools I like to use is questions. And so when I start a conversation with someone about the gospel, first question I ask is, if you were to die today and you're standing before God and he says, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Which is a great, effective question. But that's assuming something. That's assuming they actually believe that there's a God. So not very effective if you can't start with them in their disbelief that there's not a God. And so that's why Rogers Hook is going to start off today at 4 o'clock, and we're going to be looking at the evidence behind the existence of God so that we can help people see that it takes far more faith to not believe in God than it does to believe in Him. So that's what this class is about. So please make plans to come, and if you need child care, like I say, please let me know. But as good as this class is going to be week after week, it will not, and I almost hesitate to do this because I want people to come to class, <laughs> but it will not guarantee you missional success. It will not guarantee that you be effective and successful in the mission. You can know all the facts and be a polished evangelist, and, but if you're not pursuing holiness and living a life set apart, then you cannot be a man or woman on mission. Tim Keller, pastor in New York, once said this. He said, when Jesus sent those first 12 people out into the world to change the world, what did he send them with? Did he send them with training manuals on evangelism? Did he send them with manuals on how to do a good TV spot? Did he send them out there with marketing and advertising knowledge? Did he? No. Did he teach them how to do a mass mailing or how to do telemarketing? Did he teach them how even to give a good sermon? Did he tell them how to get up there and speak publicly in a good way, how to divide your text up, and how to use a proper illustration? No. He sent them out with this one thing. He sent them out with holiness, and the whole world was changed. What have we got? We got a lot more than 12. Why isn't the whole world not being changed? Maybe it's because we have the manuals, but we don't have the holiness. The success of your mission is dependent on your holiness condition. So what areas is God calling us to be holy, to be set apart in order to reach the world with the gospel? So in John 17, 4 that we've already looked at, Jesus prays this. He prays, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. So I just want to take a few minutes and let's look at two categories where we can be set apart like Jesus was set apart as he glorified God by accomplishing the work that God gave him to do. So I want to look at being about God's glory, and I want to look at being about obeying him. So when it comes to God's glory, most of the world does not seek God's glory. So if you want to be set apart, seek God's glory. 
He gave us two ways. Um, sorry. So if you want to become holy by seeking God's glory and everything, this doesn't happen overnight because it's a process. So you can say, well, I become a Christian, and then all of a sudden, I want to seek God's glory in everything I do. No, you got to be conditioned by the Lord for this. It's a process to learn all the ways in which you can give God's glory. And there's lots of ways. In fact, that's one of the fun and exciting things about life and growing and walking with Jesus. Is you're like, oh, I didn't even realize that I can press in and I can worship God in that particular area. Jacob and his team does a great job and help us worshiping God here on Sunday mornings. But that's not the only way to worship God. That's not the only way to give praise to him. That's not the only way to give him glory. There are countless, endless, I think for the rest of our lives we'll be learning different ways to give glory to God. I may have mentioned this before, but John Piper wrote this one-page article, and it was so simple, but it was so profound and so helpful to me in trying to figure out how to worship God and give Him glory in all areas of my life. And the title of the article was, How to Drink Orange Juice to the Glory of God. You ever thought about that? I mean, how do you do it? How do you? And he gave two ways. Two ways to drink orange juice to the glory of God. The first way was to, as it's going down, Thank God out of gratefulness for the good taste in orange juice. That's the first way, right? And the second way he said that you can give glory to God by drinking orange juice is don't drink all the orange juice. Save some for someone else. And it's like those are two. If you have the right perspective as you're drinking the orange juice, those are great ways to worship God and give glory to him. So we were in our community group last uh, Monday night, and this subject came up. And so we decided to ask this question to ourselves in our community group, and, and it's this. Uh, how do you take the trash out to the glory of God? So it's just a question we threw out there for our community group. How do you, particularly in my case, how do you, we're talking about how do you put the trash out by the street? Because I hate putting the trash out of the street. For our neighborhood, trash day is Sunday, right? And so Sunday is supposed to be a Sabbath. It's supposed to be a day of worship and rest. And for me, it's hard to worship and it's hard to rest when I got to look forward to the end of the day of taking the trash out by the street. So it's never a joy. In fact, every once in a while I come home and on Sunday nights from church and Christy's already put the trash out. Now that's joy and I can worship there. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but have you ever experienced uh, one uh, particular trash day and you forget to take the trash out? And then the trash truck comes, and uh, you're stuck with a whole bin full of garbage for the whole week. That's a terror. That's happened to me once or twice, and lesson learned, never happened to me again. But So how do you take the trash out to the glory of God? And here's what we came up with in our group. As you're pulling the bin out to the front, you thank God for the ability to be able to take the trash out. Give him glory. A lot of people can't walk and do it, so give him glory for that. Once you get it out to the curb, you could dig back through the trash can and thank God for the things you once enjoyed all during the week. Don't let anybody see you digging through your own trash, but you could do that. Uh, the third way that we, we talked about, well, once you dig through your trash and thank God for all the things that you once enjoyed, you might need to pray for healing in light of the bad things you ate last week. <laughs> Praying and giving glory to God. Another thing you could do is you could write a thank you note to the garbage collector. Stick it on the garbage can and thank him and encourage him. Maybe even share the gospel. You know, put a track there. And I thought about this later, and I've done this some, uh, a f sometimes when I get the chance and my neighbor's can's not out. Maybe some of you have done it. You take your neighbor's trash to the curb, right? Have like an evangelistic or an encouraging ministry there. So 
When you think about all the God-glorifying ways, and I'm sure if I thought a little further more, there'd be more ways. When you think about all the God-glorifying ways to take the trash out, you can actually look forward to taking the trash out. So in all areas of life, if you want to be set apart in public and in private in your own heart, glorify God. Jesus starts off the prayer talking about the importance of that. And I believe that's how we can be set apart and be holy so that we can be ready for mission. Another way is personal obedience. Most of the world consists of individuals who have made themselves their own God. The idea of submitting to another authority makes no sense to most of the world. So you become holy and set apart by living in total submission in all aspects of life to God. This will begin to affect what you listen to, what you watch, where you go, how you conduct yourself at work, how you conduct yourself at home. And these decisions will directly impact the effectiveness of your ministry, of your mission. 2014, some of you have heard my story. I took a job in operations and sales for a concrete uh, pumping company. So we had the big trucks that would pump concrete from the ready-mix trucks to construction sites. And when I took this job, I made it my goal to share the gospel with the people that I worked with. And I did. In fact, as far as I can remember, I think I got a chance to share the gospel individually with the whole crew. But my level of success was only as great in that company as my level of holiness. Uh, There were plenty of opportunities to be set apart in this industry. If you've been in construction, there are plenty of opportunities where there was fighting, there was lying, there was stealing, there was cheating, there was offensive language over and over. That's just part of the culture. That was part of the industry. But I made a decision years ago that I would be the same person who will strive to follow Christ regardless of the environment that I find myself in. So I conducted myself the same way that I did in all the years that I worked in full-time ministry. I worked hard at my job. I put in 12 to 17 hours a day. It was grueling, and I I didn't compromise on my convictions. Contrary to what was expected, I didn't steal from or lie to our customers, and I treated our employees with respect. And one day, one of our employees, is actually the guy that trained me, came into my office, and he told me that the only way we would succeed as a company was that if I learned to lie. That's the only way. He wanted me to lie to a customer in an email, uh, and when I told him that I wouldn't do it, he said this. He said, well, forward the email to me, and I'll lie for you. And I thought about that for a second, and I said, well, that guy's lying all the time anyway. I guess it really doesn't matter. And so I thought about that for about 10 seconds, and then I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, so didn't compromise on my convictions. And then a few years later, that same guy called me. I remember where I was standing in the airport, think coming back from Panama with the church. Got a phone call from me, and he told me, he said, hey, man, I just want to let you know I became a Christian. So what you do matters. That determines the level of holiness. Why you do it matters. That's another level of holiness. And when you do it matters, that's also another level of holiness. It's not just what you do in front of others, but what you do in private as well. To only give glory to God in public or to only be obedient when others are watching is not holiness. It's hypocritical. So I'll be holy over here, but not holy here. You're not a holy person. You're not walking in holiness. You're walking in hypocrisy. So you are holy and set apart when God's glory and your own obedience becomes who you are regardless of who is watching. So don't ever believe the lie that what you do in private won't affect others. You are either holy or you're not. 
You're either set apart or you're just like everyone else. And if you're holy only in certain situations or in front of certain people, then you're not set apart because you're just like everyone else. So how do we become more holy in each of these areas? How do we become holy when it comes to God's glory, when it comes to obedience, when it comes to every area in your life? And it's right here in the text when Jesus says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So you become holy by filling your mind up with truth. Sometimes the news is true. Sometimes it's fake, right? Sometimes people speak truth. And then sometimes they manipulate you and take advantage of you. And then sometimes movies and songs and social media share things that are true, but it's hard to know what is true and what is false. And, but God's word is different. You can actually go into God's word with ultimate confidence that the Bible is the only place that we can go where we know that we're getting truth. God's word is the only thing that can transform your thinking and make you holy. So therefore... It's five ways to digest God's Word, to hear it, to read it, to study it, to memorize it, and then you meditate on what you're hearing, reading, studying, and memorizing. So you think of it this way. This is how it practically works and how to grow in holiness so you can be set apart for mission. The success of your mission is dependent on your holiness condition, and then your holiness condition is dependent on your time in God's Word. And the degree to which you are being transformed by God's word is the degree to which you are accurately representing God in mission. So if you're like, where do I start? How do I become someone that's holy in such a way that I can be effective in mission for Jesus Christ? It's real simple. You just open up God's word every day and be transformed in your thinking. And then it will come out in how you live your life. It's not a small thing to identify yourself as a Christian, because once you do, you from that point on are representing some version of Jesus. Soon as you say, I'm a Christian, you've put a label on yourself that now people are looking at you to see what Christ really is like. So it might be a true version or it might be a false version, but you are claiming to represent him. So we need to become more and more like him. When Jesus tells us, so many of you are familiar with Matthew 6, when Jesus tells you that we are to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, he didn't give us a choice between the two. He didn't say you can either choose my kingdom and seek that, or you can seek my righteousness. He said kingdom and righteousness together. So there are some here today, so some of you may be thinking this either consciously or subconsciously. You know, Josh, I could get real excited about the mission but I'm okay with compromising holiness in this particular area and this particular area. And I got most of it down pat, right? God grades on a curve, and I feel like he can use most of what I'm doing because I'm mostly being set apart in what I'm doing. So I'm okay. I get real excited about the mission, but I'm okay in compromising in some areas. But that's not an option. Holiness is what allows us to participate in the mission. It's the very thing that becomes, gives us the ability to be on mission for Christ. So it's all or nothing. You're either holy or you're a hypocrite. Like, you're either set apart or you're just like everyone else. Or you may say, I am intimately walking with Jesus, and I am walking in holiness because I'm becoming more like him every day. But I'm not really into... I'm glad y'all got that class, and that's good for others, and maybe I'll show up and just listen, but I'm not really into evangelism, and I'm not into discipleship, and I'm not into 
the mission side of it. Maybe one day, but not today. But think about this. You can't walk with Jesus and not be involved in mission because mission is where Jesus is walking. So to walk with Jesus, you got to be in mission because that's what he's all about. So number one, as we were meant to be sent, number two is that he, Jesus, prayed that we would be made holy. And then number three is Jesus was actually, not too many times you can do this, but Jesus can. Jesus was the answer to his prayer. Jesus was the answer to his own prayer. Now, you may be saying, I'm not pursuing holiness in all these areas, and I will never measure up to God's standard of holiness. So, Josh, you've basically given a message so far to where I just feel really defeated because I really want to be on mission for Christ, and I really want to become more and more like him. But I got so far to go, and I just don't think I'll ever get there. And the truth is, that's true because none of us will. God's standard of holiness is so high that we can never get there. We can never be good enough for him, and we can never be truly good enough to truly represent him. So it's important as we end on this last point to know this. There are actually two different types of sanctification. There's two different ways to be sanctified, and both of them need to be true in your life for you to be growing in your effectiveness for mission. But there's, the first one is, and this is what we've already talked about, is progressive sanctification. That's a big phrase, but this is what it means. You're progressing in being sanctified. So that is growing in holiness, progressing in holiness. Or as you are in God's word, you become more and more holy each day, and thus you become more and more set apart for mission. That's what we've been talking about so far. So the encouragement should be, when you're growing in progressive sanctification, you don't look at God's standard of holiness and think about why I'm not there. What you do is you say, by spending time in God's word, I'm a little closer today than I was yesterday. And so you're just growing and becoming more like Jesus. And so every day his mercies are new every morning. It's to say, God, thank you so much for forgiving me where I fell short of your holiness yesterday. And thank you for the opportunity to be consumed by your truth today so I can grow more and more in your holiness to better represent you. That's progressive sanctification. That's what we've been talking about. But progressive sanctification is not even possible unless you have what I call positional sanctification. Positional sanctification is this, and it's in verse 19. And this is the first part of the biblical truth that we were looking at earlier. You would think that I have it memorized uh, because it rhymes so well. Uh, but Jesus prayed we would position and condition for the mission. And so the positional sanctification is in verse 19. And Jesus says, for their sake, I consecrate or sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus, and this is how he was the answer to his own prayer. Because he knew that we would fall short in setting ourselves apart unto holiness for mission. He says, I'll do it for you. I'll sanctify myself. I'll consecrate myself so that you can be truly sanctified. Verse 19, and for their sake, I concentrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus set apart himself by living and dying in our place so that we could 
be holy. Jesus was the answer to his own prayer. So positional sanctification is an event. It's an event that happens in your life when you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's one position that stays the same forever. It's where Christ's life has made you holy and set apart, and his death has met the demands for every time you were not holy in the past and every time you won't be holy in the future. And this is really important. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he had you in mind when he was on the cross, and he knew who you were and all the ways in which you would fall and all the ways in which I would fall short of his holiness. And he's on the cross so that his death can become your substitution. He lived a perfect life, died a death in your place. And he did that knowing all the ways in which you would fall short of his holiness. So when you come to Christ and you give your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are forgiven not only for all the past sins that you've committed, you're forgiven for all the future sins that you've committed as well. It's a position that will never, ever change. You are made holy and set apart in Christ because he's forgiven you of all your past and present sins. So that is an awesome place to be and something that we need to remind ourselves every day as we're trying to grow in holiness, as we're trying to progress in our sanctification. John MacArthur says this, that literally in John 17, we are brought into the heavenly holy of holies. The title of this series is the high priestly prayer. And so Jesus is our high priest that is going before the Father on our behalf. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, so if you know something about the Old Testament and the Exodus, when they came out of Egypt, they lived in tents for 40 years. I tell my buddies, I got some buddies that like to go camping, and they'll say, hey, come go camping with us. Grab your tent. We're going to do a weekend camping. And I'll say, I'll, I'll usually find, I'm so glad that I work at a church on Sunday morning. Because I tell them I do one night, but I'm not doing two nights because i got to be at church on Sunday morning early. And uh, so, but these guys lived in tents for 40 years. And so they were, on the, they were wandering in the wilderness. And uh, whenever they stopped, they would arrange their tents around a large tent. And that was God's tent. That was what became known as the tabernacle. And that's where uh, the presence of God resided. And in the large tent in the tabernacle, there was a smaller tent. And that was the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of Covenant was. And that's where the mercy seat was. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in. He's the only one that could do this. And he would consecrate himself. And he would go in and he would do two things. His responsibility was that he would have the blood from a sacrifice, and he would go in and he would sprinkle the blood in the Holy of Holies. And then he also would have some incense. And incense, if you know from Revelation, represents the prayers of the saints. And so he would literally walk in with a sacrifice and walk in with prayer. And both of these things happened on behalf of the people, on behalf of God's people. And he would do this once a year for the people's atonement and for intercession before God. And so when we look at John 17, we are getting a glimpse of our high priest, Jesus Christ, who is the high priest for all of eternity now. Going in before the Father, right before he goes to the cross to sacrifice himself on our behalf. And he goes in to intercede for the people. 
That's what Jesus is doing in John 17 all the way up to 19 till he goes to the cross. He's bringing people to God through prayer and the sacrifice of himself. And he's doing this for our positional sanctification so that we can be made holy in him so that we could have the opportunity, as long as you and I are here on this earth, to progress in our sanctification by filling our mind up with God's word. And it's so, so exciting. And this is there's one thing that I want you to walk away with from this morning is just to get excited about this. When we think about mission and we think about evangelism, when we think about reaching the world for Christ, it's really, really simple. You come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I give him my life and I'm, my position's in Jesus Christ and I'm secure for eternity. Then what do I need to do? What you need to do is you need to fill your mind up with God's word so that you not only know his plan for mission, but that he begins through his word to transform your thinking, which will transform how you act and giving glory to God and living in obedience to him, which will automatically set you apart as a person growing in holiness. And every day you will, you will begin to have more of an impact for the mission because you have been sent to represent Jesus than you did even the day before. So his mercies are new every morning. I get up today and say, I got a better opportunity today than I did even have yesterday because I'm filling mine up, my mind up with God's word. So let's, be, let's go into mission. So you get to Hebrews 7, and Jesus is, uh, the writer is talking about Jesus, and he's going back to the tabernacle, and he's talking about what happened there, and then specifically what happened in John 17, and what happened on the cross, and now what's happening in heaven today. And so let me end on this. So in John 7, I'm sorry, in Hebrews 7, verses 25 and 27, the writer writes this. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's what he's doing right now. He's making intercession for us. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. This is why when it comes to your position in Christ, all you need is Jesus, because he has become your holiness. He has no need like those high priests that we saw all during the Old Testament to offer sacrifices even daily, first for their own sins and then for those of the people, since Jesus did this once for all when he offered up himself. Before you can grow in holiness, you first need to be forgiven for all the times you have not been holy in the past, and you'll not be holy in the future. So if you have been trusting yourself for your own sanctification, for your own salvation, then your assurance likely rises and falls on whether or not you are feeling holy on any given day. If you've come in here this morning and you say, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm in God's family and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I feel like a Christian and sometimes I don't. That's understandable because if you're basing your feeling, if you're, if you're basing your salvation and where you are in Christ based on your level of holiness, it is going to wane up and down. But if you base it on Jesus Christ and what he's going to do, then you can realize the assurance that only he gives. But you don't have to do that anymore. All you simply have to do is transfer your trust. You can stop trusting in yourself and place your trust in Jesus as the high priest who has entered into the Holy of Holies. Personally, became a holy sacrifice in your place, and now keeps you by interceding on your behalf. You simply need to transfer your trust 
from trusting yourself to trusting Christ. And that's the opportunity that we have for all of us this morning is to say, I'm no longer going to trust in myself. I'm going to trust in Christ. And then for those who have already made that decision, I'm going to be consumed by God's word every day so that in doing so, I can automatically fulfill the mission that God has sent me to do. And that is that he has sent me to represent his son. Let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your work. Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the word of God today. Take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.